You are listening to Analyze Asia with Bernard Leung, the podcast dedicated to interview thought leaders and industry players to understand and dissect the pulse of technology, media, and business in Asia. The show is sponsored by Ideal Workspace, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. You can visit their website, idealworkspace.com. Hi, David. Hi Bernard, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? I'm well, and I'm speaking to David Corbin,、uh, who is currently an editor in Tech in Asia. That's right. I'm an editor over here in Japan. You have a very interesting Twitter account. When Gwen <laughs> introduced me to you, you said you cover all things Japan. What's your story? How do you end up in Japan? Yeah, that's a、uh, that's a good question. I, I guess I just wanted、uh, an adventure. Uh, when I was finishing up、uh, university in America, I thought about a lot of the options that are kind of out there: get a job, go to New York, go to LA. And as exciting as some of those opportunities、uh, might have been, part of me thought that it might be more interesting if I tried、uh, another country entirely. So I got a scholarship to study Japanese. I'd already studied it a little bit prior, and I went to Japan. Wow. And then you studied Japanese. Then, and how do you end up covering the tech in Japan? Then, yeah. So、uh, after studying, I entered into Rakuten,、uh, which is kind of like Japan's Alibaba, Amazon, among many other companies rolled into one.、Uh, it's a big tech conglomerate. So I worked there for about three and a half years,、uh, most recently in their government affairs、uh, department. And I guess you know after three and a half years, you start to think maybe I should like just try something else. And so even though Rock Ten was great and I had a lot of good opportunities,、uh, when the Tech in Asia opportunity came up,、uh, I thought I just had to take it. And what's funny is now that I'm in the startup、uh, world over here, I'm seeing a lot of former colleagues and even a few former mentors from Rock Ten. Now doing stuff in some of the Japanese startups around here. During your time in Rakuten, has it ever occurred to you to kind of do something in the startup space, given that so much activity is now going on? Yeah, well, I, I think that's just part of the, the Rakuten DNA.、Uh, it's still a founder-run company. When you are,、uh, I guess, get to be one of the top dogs、uh, in a country,、uh, you start to wonder what's it like to build something from scratch. And there are a couple examples of Rakuten building products from scratch. But for me, I was thinking something like Tech in Asia is really starting from almost zero in Japan, even though it already existed for three years prior. To get a chance to be part of the first full team for Japan Tech in Asia,、uh, it just seemed like a really good opportunity and one that I couldn't really think of getting elsewhere. The chance to kind of explore Japanese startups so thoroughly is something that very, very, very few media、uh, are doing these days.、Mm. Actually, I I have been trying to get someone from Tech in Asia to come on the show, so you are the first. And、I'm the first. Yes,、wow. you are. Despite I know everyone there, and full <laughs> disclosure, my site was acquired by Tech in Asia. Yes, I, I remember hearing about that. <laughs> so okay, I kind of invited you on the show because I wanted to have a much deeper discussion about a mobile application that's very popular in Japan and elsewhere in the world, and that's yes. Line. Yes. So, So tell me a little bit about what is the Line mobile application and how was it started originally? Yeah, so Line is a、uh, first and foremost a messaging app, and you can you link up via your phone number, so you can link up your phone number and then connect that to one computer, 
uh, any more devices and you actually need a whole new phone number. So it's pretty good for user uh, authentication. You can send messages to your friends. You can create groups and talk in a group. It's, of course, popular for the stickers or the stamps. They're called different things depending on where you live. The way it got started, it's originally a Korean company called Naver, uh, which operates the largest search portal in Korea. They had a Japan office. And the Japan office was trying to uh, branch out also in the search industry. And they had even acquired a portal called LiveDoor. So it's around 2011. The engineering team had been working on a new business project. It was like the early, early stages of Line. And it had not been released yet. But then the earthquake of March 11th happened. The fact was, is that in Japan, I, I was in Japan at the time, uh, you really could not use your phone. But somehow the <clears throat> internet infrastructure was still working. So everyone was communicating to each other uh, through Facebook or through Twitter. According to Takeshi Itazawa, who's the current COO and will be coming the CEO, he said this in an interview with Fastco recently. Uh, he said that realizing the, I think the quote is something like, the limitations and possibilities of messaging <clears throat> through the internet is something that made them think we should really push hard to make our own application for that. So they did. And they released it in the summer of 2011. And then the story goes is that over the next, I think it's four months or so, the uh, app got maybe a, a few million users. And then once it released the sticker uh, function, then it just blew up immediately uh, and really hasn't looked back ever since. Uh, originally, Line was kind of the first of the messaging apps to bring in the sticker idea, right? Yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of the, the credit it often gets. I think there's always a little bit of a who was here first war that, that mm -hmm. happens between uh, uh, WeChat and KakaoTalk and Line. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's certainly the company that's become most known for stickers. Yes, and in fact, the stickers idea is also being transported to the West where Path later and I think some of the other messaging apps also uses stickers as well as of today. So it, was it just because of the stickers that users beginning to love the feature and that's why it became popular or are there any other reasons behind it that it became one of the most popular apps in Japan before going out to the world? Well certainly the stickers I think are always cited as one of the main drivers of popularity and drivers of I guess brand recognition. So like the characters of the stickers, the brown bear, the white rabbit, the handsome blonde man, they are often used as like the, the forerunners to uh, get people excited. Oh, line is coming to Thailand or line is coming to, to Taiwan. Of course, they're not actually the main revenue generator. Uh, the main revenue generator and the other main driver of line success is the gaming function. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's had a, a string of successful games. Last year, a, a huge game for them that came out of their partnership with Disney it's called uh, Disney Simpson. Basically, that's where, kind of like Candy Crush, you have to line up uh, the different characters, make them disappear. So gaming is really one of the benchmarks that uh, Line rests on to become a powerful app. As of today, how many Line users are there? So everyone has a, a slightly different story on that one, too. In terms of monthly active users, uh, the most recent numbers we have, I believe, are 180, 181 million. And then for just general users globally, I think there was an interview that came out in early February that pegged it at around 700 million. That's a lot. I mean, it's compared to WeChat and KakaoTalk is probably one of the largest, even against yeah. WhatsApp. Yeah, so WhatsApp is like a whole other beast entirely because we can say that Line has something like 600, 700 million users or registered accounts that say registered accounts, but it boils down to 181 active users monthly. Whereas 
WhatsApp is looking at 700 million monthly active users. It's just on a whole nother level. Even over if you look at uh, WeChat, WeChat also actually beats Line pretty heftily uh, in terms of monthly active user count. Of course, almost all of those monthly active users are in China. So it makes the apps, I guess, global status or international uh, standing uh, a little bit different from Line's. Mm. You mentioned that Line originally came from Naver, the search engine. Is it now an independent company that spin off from Naver or it still runs under the Naver Japan? Ah, you are, you are a smart man, yes. So currently the structure is that you have Naver in Korea and then there's a subsidiary that used to be called uh, NHN Japan and now that is called Line Corporation. And so Line Corporation, which is based in Japan, is a subsidiary of Korean firm and they operate line. But there's actually a new wrinkle that was added recently. There's now something called, if I remember correctly, Line Plus. And so Line Plus is a further spinoff, and they just focus on global initiatives, uh, such as the recent uh, Line TV in Thailand, or the recent, it was a market, supermarket app that just launched in Taiwan, I believe. Mm. So who are kind of the founders or the founding team of Line, given that they, I, if I'm not wrong, they started off by a group of engineers, right? So yeah. how, who are these people who actually started this kind of a startup within a big corporation? Well, I'll be honest with you. I would love to see that interview. I'd love to write that interview. <laughs> wow. Okay. So we just didn't know who are the engineers are. But I guess the guy who you mentioned, the CEO, is he one of the original found, founding members? I don't think I've ever seen him take credit for that. So my understanding is that there was a small team, something like I think maybe three engineers uh, who cooked it up. That's as far as, as my knowledge goes at any rate. Wow. Okay. But I guess it's much more interesting to look at line. I mean, the way people sign up, you can actually also... Uh, use QR codes because I signed up for my line account to communicate with my Japanese friends when I when I came to Japan last year for a holiday and then right. you can also look at brand pages yep. as well is that similar to Facebook pages but actually everything on the mobile messaging app so with Facebook pages they are free to sign up free to use and the only time you get charged is if you make an ad with line professional accounts uh, it's a little bit different so there is a free version that you can sign up for. And then depending on how many messages you want to send to your followers, you end up paying a certain amount per month. And then it's uh, if you are just constantly, constantly emailing your followers, like I think the limit is over 50,000 or 5,000 messages per month, then you have to pay an additional fee uh, above that. And also a lot of brands use Line as well because I was in Loft and they have a uh -huh. Line page and they were advertising all over of course, I couldn't read Japanese, so <laughs> I was quite interesting, interested to know how brands like Loft or even Takashimaya are using Line to sort yeah. of engage customers. Not even just the big ones. So I was at a just a very uh, small but pretty nice izakaya. Uh, that's like a small Japanese restaurant. I was there maybe a few months ago with an investor. One of the things, the first things that the waitstaff did, they said, what are your drinks? Oh, okay, beer, fine. And then they said, hey, can you please sign up for our line account? <laughs> and, and so, you know, everyone's like, uh, I just want to, you know, have a drink. And when they said, if you sign up, then the next time you come, you get this discount. And I, I don't remember the discount, but at the time, the discount sounded pretty good. So uh, we all signed up. And yeah, even the small ones uh, are, are using it. Mm. 
So which mobile platforms does Line operate on? I, I download it on the iOS. Do they have an Android version? Yeah, Line is pretty much available anywhere that you can uh, get a mobile operating system. So Android, iOS, even things like a Windows Phone or, or, or Firefox. You can use it on your computer if it's a Windows or, or an OS or a Mac OS. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's got a very wide reach. And that's actually one of the things I think that has made it popular in the business world. So right now, whether or not you're in a startup or you're in a big company, almost everyone has uh, at least an informal uh, chat chat room with their teammates online. Wow. And of course, like you can't send very complex messages all the time just using your fingers. Like That's not very efficient. But by having it on the computer, you can send very complex messages very easily and it'll go to someone's mobile phone. I remember back when I was still working at Rock 10, one of the big uh, culture changes was we had to go from using Line to using Viber because Rockton acquired Viber, so that became like the official thing that for, for us to use. And you know, you know, Viber still worked very well, but that was. It, I remember there were a couple of days where people were like, "Oh wow, we can't use Line, can we?" No, <laughs> we have to use Viber. The most interesting part of it is about the revenue for Line against WhatsApp. I know WhatsApp is still zero mm-hmm. revenue. You would want to tell us how much did Line generated in terms of revenue. So Line generated, I believe it was over $600 million last year for 2014. Wow. Uh, and so, yeah, that's a, that's a wow number. And that's one of the reasons why I think uh, if it IPOs, it will be a very hotly anticipated IPO. But the revenue really doesn't tell the whole story. Though I say that because if you think about all the things that Line has been investing in, for starters, just in terms of pure CVC, uh, corporate venture capital funds, they have several already operating that one is for entertainment and one is for games. Just from that point, they're already putting out, I think it's something like approximately $90 million or $100 million. Wow. Okay. Uh, and, and then you get into the idea that they are launching payment platforms. They're launching food delivery. They're launching taxis. They're mm-hmm. launching line TV. They're launching e-commerce in multiple countries. I would love to know what their investment costs are because as amazing as that revenue is, I think that they're probably burning up a lot of of cash in an attempt to establish themselves as a global internet player that's not just a global gaming player because if we're speaking honestly right now it's a global messaging and gaming player and they're trying to become like to that next level and so they're doing the investment now and i guess the big question is will it actually take off given that it started off as a messaging app and then it creates certain features that are quite common across messaging platforms like brand pages and right. spinning off its own venture capital uh-huh. um, to do different kinds of startups, right? So right. do you kind of get a very good sense of what the real business model for Line is? It's very transaction-based. Um, in, in some terms, I think my last guest, Ben Baharin, was talking about Line as a transaction engine on the mobile phone. It creates a, a layer within the mobile phone itself to mm-hmm. to allow users to transact. So, if we if we were to dissect out line, which are the core revenue drivers, basically? I, yeah, I, I heard that it's from games is one. Yeah, games is definitely one. The stickers you can't entirely sleep on those either. Just like the the amateur created stickers alone, I think in their first seven months took in 30 million in revenue and that's just a fraction of the overall sticker revenue that that's out there honestly i'm a little bit pessimistic on just how much revenue is coming in from things like line mall or or line taxi uh, Mm -hmm. or line pay Mm -hmm. Uh, and i say that just because i think they're still relatively new you know line mall has 
been operating now for almost for, for about half a year, I think. It's currently, I think, in the number three or four spot in Japan in terms of popularity. And it's not really like a close uh, three or four spot. Uh, the top one is Merukari. Uh, sorry, to clarify in case you're not familiar, Line Mall, it does have a section where brands can sell their clothes directly to consumers. But one of the main focuses of the app is a place for consumers to sell to each other. So if you're scrolling through the app, there's a, a couple sections where you can buy gifts from stores, where you can do a group buy with friends from a, an official brand. And like they're the big brands too, like high-end fashion or, or high-end gear or electronics. But the majority of the app is dedicated to consumer-to-consumer -consumer sales. So from that background, and you consider the fact that Merukari and the number two is Frill, they have the vast majority of market share in Japan. I start to wonder just how much money is line making from some of these other pursuits. Ah. And, yeah, and like for me personally, I, I hope that they're making a lot, and I hope they're showing good traction because I think the, the idea of an app that operates like a WeChat but actually is international is really, really cool. And that's like a whole other way of connecting people around the world, just the way Facebook connects people through like this kind of common shared experience of that, of that service. I, I hope they do well, but just from purely anecdotal basis, I know that food delivery in Japan is really hard. Uh, there was just a startup that was led by a very nice entrepreneur. They just closed down their service because... They said, you know what, food delivery is not like a growing industry. Payments is another tough one. Line does have some advantages in that it has a lot of ways to uh, suggest that you start using Line Pay. You can use Line Pay via the mall app. You can lose, use Line Pay for your food delivery or for your taxi hailing. And then taxi hailing is another one where, you know, they might have a chance, but this is a, a case where I have to think that they must be putting a lot of money into this. So to give you a sense of Line Taxi, Line Taxi is the main threat to Uber in Japan. For whatever reason, uh, Japan, until Line Taxi, did not have a very strong taxi war thing going on. It wasn't like Vietnam, it wasn't like China, it wasn't like Malaysia or Indonesia. It was relatively calm. You had Uber in Tokyo, and you had a couple imports like uh, Halo, which was operating out of Osaka, uh, or Black Lane, which I think had also entered Tokyo. Uh, but other than that, it was pretty quiet. And then Line pops up, all of a sudden everyone knows Line, not everyone knows Uber. And Line made a partnership with a gigantic taxi service, and so now it had tens of thousands of cars ostensibly at its beck and call. And just last week or two weeks ago, it finally kind of saw the other shoe drop, and it launched in like over 90 cities around the country. Wow. Whereas the only thing that Uber has done in the time being is launch uh, car sharing in Fukuoka, which is a major city in southern Japan. That's an area where you know you kind of look at the competitors and what Line's doing, and maybe in the mall, uh, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. There's a lot of other really strong e-commerce competitors out there. Uh, payments, maybe you have a shot. You have a lot of reasons to to use Line payments, but then taxi hailing, that's where they have, to, in my opinion, they've really kind of established a, a strong competitive advantage over the other the other competitors that's interesting so according to what you talk about line mall which i j was t trying to interject just now was that um uh -huh. one of my guests hero was talking yeah. about the mobile place wars in japan yes. which one of the three ongoing wars so it was actually mercury if i didn't pronounce it rightly uh frill yeah. uh -huh. and line basically line is one of the three in that war yeah, uh, if, if I'm remembering the numbers correctly, it goes Merukari, Frill, Line, and then uh, Rock 10's version, which is called Rakuma. Wow. 
and then it in the taxi space is fighting with uber head to head in japan and then yep. now they do tv too right what is line tv i mean it's very it's been announced in a couple of big tech websites about them having a foothold in Thailand and Taiwan. What is Line yeah. TV about? So Line TV is, as you said, it's a, it's a non-Japan service. Mm-hmm. So they're, oh. Taiwan and Thailand represent Line's two strongest uh, user bases outside of Japan. And so it's pretty cool that they're launching a service there instead of Japan. Normally, all their services are Japan first and then they go global. Uh, so it's nice to see that they're really paying attention to the fans, I guess, outside of the home country. Line TV, it, to my understanding, is a, uh, a, a streaming app, but I'll, I'll be brutally honest, it's a little bit outside of my radar <laughs> because part of it is that I can't even use it. I can't access it. I, I can't give it a whirl uh, since it's not in Japan. I saw the, the announcement of Line TV. It was actually only also very country-specific in Thailand and in Taiwan. Yeah. So talking about line in other countries so one mm-hmm. thing i'm pretty impressed about in fact how i got to know about line was his partnership with one of the big three telcos in singapore called okay. Starhub. so yes. they ran this aggressive marketing campaign using stickers mm-hmm. and that was how line became very popular in singapore because they were because of this whole sticker feature and the whole ads that were running were all about you know teenagers sending nice stickers and it's pre it's preloaded with starhub is i mean starhub is kind of the number two or number three uh telco well there are only three players so and they have a significant market share they seem to be able to localize very well in each of the country they go what makes the team having the kind of customization within that that's something that i kind of very curious to know. Do you have any insight on that? Well, I, I've seen the current CEO, Akira Morikawa, speak a few times. And one thing that he often touches on is he says that at Line, they try not to uh, hold too strongly to the conventional wisdom. And they want their teams, they want their engineers, they want their salespeople to be ready to change what they need to do and adapt. From what you're saying, I, I think that that sort of mentality has done a pretty good job of uh, really permeating throughout the company. Uh, another thing that they do well uh, is not just an issue of localization, I think it's an issue of partnerships. So if we think about the companies that they got to sign up for stickers, you know, right now Line is not anywhere near popular in America. I think it has something like 27 million registered users. Pretty small amount of users in, in the US know or even care about Line. Even so, they've created some great partnerships with Disney, uh, with Marvel, with Peanuts, the, the Snoopy comic strip, some really powerful American brands. And they have become good partners with them, and those are very popular sticker sets. I think part of the secret of success is not just localization of how they do business, but I think they're pretty savvy at understanding uh, who they should do business with and how to introduce themselves to, to local consumers. We talk about games online and they are very very successful they also started out sticker trends as well yeah. actually i downloaded the marvel one because i like the avengers oh <laughs> yes <laughs> compare line to kakao talk and wechat i don't know whether have you tried those services where do you see them are they also in japan as well or you have not seen any activity from wechat and kakao talk I certainly have not seen any range of popularity for, for those two. I think they probably have some of, some devotees, but it's probably similar to the way Line is in the United States, where 
a few people who, for whatever reason, maybe have like an Asia connection or just super big tech people who just love trying uh, all the different apps uh, will know about it. But WeChat or Kowtalk in, in Japan is is not really going anywhere. Just the one thing that I'm, I want to ask you about. Um, so one of the things I've been told about WeChat and Line and they're very good at is discovery of mobile apps. Mm -hmm. So you can actually use the messaging app as a way to push advertising for discovery for other mobile apps. Yeah, have, and like yeah. For, can you tell me a little yeah. yeah? Can you tell me a little bit more about that because it's quite a, it's interesting, and I don't think a lot of people appreciate that mm -hmm. um, you can actually facilitate better downloads in app installs through Line and WeChat versus if you were on Twitter or Facebook. Yeah. So online. If you go to using the gaming suggestion, uh, you can see which of your friends are using these games, uh, and so that creates kind of a, I guess, a social stamp of approval. Oh, you know, so and so is using this game. Maybe I'll like it too, or like maybe we can play together or play against each other. So that that's useful, and it's not just the games. So there's an icon for games. There's also an icon just for line apps, and so then you can see the things that are available that you can use access within the app or the things that end up uh, popping you outside. So uh, two examples, there's a Line Mall. Mm -hmm. And so when I downloaded Line Mall, it becomes an outside of the app application. But when I use Line Taxi, it like opens up a door inside the app and I go into Line Taxi and then can uh, use that the same way I would use, say, Uber. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it, I'm not exactly sure what the rhyme or reason is why certain apps uh, are opened up inside and certain apps kick you out but they're either way they're all searchable within the app mm. uh, and that is I, I agree I think it's really useful it means I don't have to go to the iTunes store I don't need to go to the Google Play store it's all just right here mm. and by this point you're probably thinking okay I like Line so I should maybe trust this app and I, I think that is one of the apps really big strengths is that you're, you're basically preaching to the choir, literally, when you're trying to push out their games mm. or other apps. I see. So it's, I think the line has kind of done a very good deep linking within the apps. But I, can, I think what you're, what you're saying is that you're not sure which kind of apps get deep linking within the app and which ones get pushed out of the app and loads up another application as a whole. Yeah, because uh, they all seem, it, to me, it's like if you, if you could, you probably would just put all of them inside the app, mm. uh, but that's not the case. So I think the most interesting question that I want to ask you is, will Line go IPO? I have to say it, it probably will. So it was scheduled for the IPO, as you know, last year. Mm. I think it was scheduled for October, November, and then it was suddenly canceled with just a statement that said, we will do it. In all likelihood next year so the most recent thing that we've heard is that the IPO is not entirely cancelled what's interesting is that since that cancellation so many of lines new services have been announced so it would not surprise me if this was a way to just increase the value of the company increase the mystery surrounding it the excitement surrounding it in order to really have a, a crackerjack IPO similar thing you could kind of see a similar trend that happened with Gumi last year. Uh, so Gumi was a gaming company. It seemed like it had kind of lost its magic, but then it came back. It found some really strong games. And prior to going for the IPO, it made several pretty high-profile partnerships. It made a profile, uh, high-profile partnership with Sega, 
it made one with Line, actually. Then it finally IPO'd. And there were some people who were, were thinking that maybe this was a way of uh, increasing uh, its, its value and uh, having a, a stronger uh, business model to show to, to investors before the IPO. And whether or not that was precisely their plan, well, we'll have to ask the CEO, Hironao uh, Konimitsu, that. But what's, what is true is that it had an extremely strong IPO. Uh, it premiered, I want to say, uh, just over, just around $900 million. So it will most likely go IPO this year. That's, uh, that's the most recent information we have, yeah. Mm. Um, it will be IPOing on the Nikkei Stock Exchange, I suppose. Uh, that's a good follow-up question. At the time last year, there was a lot of confusion and questioning about will it go IPO in Japan or will it go IPO in America? Because uh, evidently the company was exploring both options. And there had not been like a definitive uh, answer before the the IPO countdown was was called off. Uh, so that's going to be a, a pretty big question, and I'm sure that they were watching uh, the Alibaba IPO very closely to see the benefits or or demerits of doing it in in America. Mm. I, I guess the regulation wise is going to be much more stringent when it comes to IPO in the U.S. as compared. I mean, in it, because they are Japanese companies, so they're more familiar within the Japan setting as well. Right. So, right. so I guess my the next the next thing I saw I wanted to tap your brain a little bit is about sure. the other companies. I mean, you 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 work in one of the big giants in Japan, Rakuten, right? Uh huh. And given this new generation of companies like Line, even years before that, there was Mixi. Right. And they almost died because of Facebook, but they had a <laughs> comeback because of Monster Strike. Yep. What do you see in Japanese companies that they need to think about before they can go global? I mean, there are very global Japanese companies. I mean, SoftBank is no doubtedly a global company. And mm-hmm. Sony in its heydays is a global consumer right. electronics company. Of course, they, they lost their consumer electronics portion now. So. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So how how do, how do you reconcile that uh, Japan and then going global for these giants in Japan? Yeah, I, I think going outside your country is really difficult, almost regardless of if you're large or small. And one of the risks that you have of being a large company in Japan is that uh, you've reached that point because you did things just like in this particular way. And if you go overseas, maybe you have to do things in a very different way. You can sometimes see a big tension about the way that, say, a local staff, you know, I don't know, say Japan to Australia or Canada or the U.S., wherever, or even Singapore, uh, how the local staff wants to do things versus how HQ wants to do things. And it can be difficult for a company to kind of let go of the urge to micromanage everything and to make sure... Uh, all the processes and and all the operations are just exactly the way they are uh, in Japan, uh, because honestly, when you go overseas, you instantly become a startup. In almost every case, no one knows you or no one cares about you anywhere near the same as they do in your home country. So you have to work really, really hard to build up the credibility, to build up the consumer base, uh, just to get the the revenue flow going. And at that point, it makes way more sense to react and listen to the users of that uh, local community as opposed to go based as opposed to act on processes that were based off of the voice of Japanese users 
there are certainly some things that are similar in multiple countries, but ultimately, if the way to build a business is to satisfy your customer, you need to satisfy the customer in front of you, not the customer that you served five years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that would be, uh, I think, a, a tip uh, that I would give. And there's some startups that I think do that well. Uh, one startup that just got, uh, I want to say it was $36 million, mm. uh, which is very large for Japan. There was no company that got more than about, in, one, in a single round, I don't think a company broke 15 last year, thereabouts. Uh, and so that company that, this year that got $36 million is called uh, MetApps. And so they're interesting because they are an app monetization platform. Uh, they also have an online uh, payment service. But their biggest moneymaker right now is the app monetization and they already have, I want like eight offices around the world, and they're only three, four years old. The CEO, uh, Katsuaki Sato, uh, one of his tips for people who want to go overseas is leave it up to the people who you hire. Uh, so for him, he says, I want to hire a really good person, uh, even if it means I have to pay a little bit extra, I'll hire it, and then we'll stay in contact, but I'm going to basically leave it to them. And the thing about uh, Sato-san is he's very occupied in Japan. Uh, he can communicate, but he, he's not someone who went to university abroad or anything like that. So he really pay, places a lot of trust uh, in those lieutenants overseas. And right now, that company has 70% of its earnings coming from overseas. So it, it can be done. And I think he showed a very good, effective game plan. Listen to your local users and trust your local staff. Hmm. How about the Japanese startup scene? You cover them as well, right? So there uh-huh. must be other startups that will pique your interest as well. NetApps is definitely one. Uh, another one, this year we had two already pretty giant funding rounds. So that was a 36 million Series C for NetApps, and then a uh, like 33, 34 million Series C went to a printing company called Roxel. Mm. And so Roxel is, what makes it so interesting is that it's like the opposite, in a sense, of NetApps. MetApps is 70% overseas, it's app monetization, it's online payments, and then Roxul is almost entirely domestic. It's talking about printing and like how, uh, how opposite from smartphones and the new digital age can you get from like printing out paper. Mm. But the thing with Roxul is that it has uh, discovered uh, a business model that just works really well. Uh, essentially, everyone has printing needs. This is very true. A lot of small businesses have printing needs. And rather than be stuck with, you know, whatever the local printer's rates are, this is a kind of like a a matching service, uh, a bit of an e-commerce platform where you can go in, you can say, okay, I need uh, these sorts of things printed. What's the best rate and who can I get it from? And then you make the decision and things can be shipped to you. Mm. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. And it's something where uh, you think like, but still, it's, it's printing. How is printing being so successful? But their, their users, their revenue, the revenue, I think, from last year went up five times. And so now it's approximately at $60 million, mm. uh, per per year. And they're doing it because I guess they're, they're executing a, a pretty basic uh, formula, which is they identified a need, they identified something that needed to be made better. Uh, they provided a solution, they listened to their users, and their users are happy. And so 
Uh, their revenue flow is very stable. They're talking about maybe they go out of Japan this year. And it, it's uh, the, the management uh, of the company, uh, I, I think, is pretty impressive. It's not a bunch of people who are kind of stuck in their ways and just like trying to make printing the most popular thing ever. No, they're just very realistic about the fact that this is an industry that even though there's a digital age that's happening, still exists. People still need to print things. And up until now, they've been doing it ineffectively. Uh, will that work in the West? Because I think printing is still dominant in Asia. But I yeah, think I, in, in, in Western societies, I think you're going more and more paperless. So maybe yeah, the market is actually going to be the emerging markets, but not in the but not in the West. Yeah, I, I would uh, agree with that assessment. So I guess we are all coming to the end of today's conversation. I just wanted to get my audience to find you. David, how do my audience find you then? Oh, yes. Excellent question. <laughs> uh, so you, you can definitely find me uh, at techinasia.com. If you look under uh, the country tab of Japan, uh, you'll probably find a number of articles that myself, as well as my writing partner, JT Quigley, have written. Uh, and then if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, I am Corbin, C-O-R-B as in boy, I-N, uh, D-B. And over there, I'm always happy to chat. Uh, and certainly if you just come to Japan, come to Tokyo and uh, drop me a line. Cool. You can definitely find me at bernardleong.com or at bleongcw. I'm also very active on Twitter. And um, you can definitely follow us at analyzeasia.com or at our Twitter account, Analyze Asia, without Z but S. Of course, if you can, leave your reviews on the iTunes, Stitcher, or any platform where you can listen to our podcast. So, David, once again, thank you for coming on the show. No, thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun.